So it was about 40 years ago, I experienced one of the most debilitating and terrifying events in my life. I'd woken up that morning, it was no different than any other morning that I might wake up, and I sat up in my bed and immediately it was as if I had been on the spinning teacups at the Magic Kingdom for 10 hours straight. My world started spinning and would not stop for another 48 hours. I remember, I remember because I was terrified. I was like, what is going on? I struggle with motion sickness, but this was a whole nother level. And I had not been on a plane or a boat or in a car. My stomach immediately got queasy and I got up and I actually fell over. I couldn't even stand and I crawled into the bathroom. And for the next two days, I laid in that bed with a pillow over my head, just doing everything I could to not move a fraction of an inch because the whole room would start spinning again. Maybe you've had vertigo. Maybe you've experienced it. And if you have, I am so sorry. You know that pain and you know that fear. Immediately like that, everything is taken away from you. Even your ability to stand. And you realize just how incredibly fragile and how much we take for granted the ability just to balance. Things are taken away like that in life. Things can change like that in life. And yet today as we gather, we're going to read out of a book. And we're going to look at the fact that we study out of a book that is unchanging. In a world and a culture that much like my vertigo, or maybe like you have experienced with vertigo, is constantly swirling around us and changing to the point that sometimes we're like, I don't even know how to stand up. And we look to anchor ourselves in a hope and in a reality and in something that is consistent. My name is Brian Herring. I serve as one of the pastors here at Spanish River Church, and it is good to be with you this morning. Our senior pastor kicked off a sermon series entitled, One Heart, One Mission. And we've been in this series now for eight weeks by God's good grace. And it has been an incredible time together. And the purpose of this sermon series has been to what? But to anchor us and remind us of who we are, but not just who we are now, but where we are going to. It's always good to have a destination, is it not? It's okay. You can respond to me. I feed well off of responses. <laughs> All right, I taught for years. I love it. It's good to have a destination, right? Yeah, yeah it is. Come on now. I remember when I was a freshman in college, uh, first day of classes, and maybe this happened to you. You walk in to uh, the main building or where you're trying to go, and you're looking at your schedule, and you're like, I think this is my class. And you walk in, it's a big auditorium, all these kids in there, and all of a sudden you find out, oh, wait. This is not intro to sociology. I found myself in intro to biology. And you're like, I'm in the wrong class. But now you can't get up and leave because you're in the middle and you don't want to look like a fool. So you just sit there and you learn something about biology that day and you figure it out. It's good to know where you are and where you are going. And in this sermon series, what have we done? But we've taken the opportunity to remind ourselves of who we are, but where we're going. Spanish River has a beautiful history. A beautiful history of 54 years. And what we're doing is not new. 
Look, this is a vision. This is a mission that was established through our senior pastor, our founding pastor, Dr. David Nicholas. This is a vision that was continued through the work of our senior pastor, Tommy Kiedis, and now is continued through our lead pastor and David Cassidy. This isn't some new mission. This is a mission that we've been on. But what this is is an opportunity to say, hey, look, this is a restatement of who we are. We are a generous people. We are a hospitable people. We are a gospel-centered people. We are a missional people. And today we look at and we remind ourselves that we are a people of the word. We are a Bible people. And we are anchored to something that is unchanging in a world that is constantly in flux and spinning around us. I want to remind you of this mission statement that uh, our lead pastor, David Cassidy, laid out for us. It's this. It's that, look, everybody needs a Savior. And everybody needs a good church to call home. So Spanish River, our mission, our mission is this, to bring the transforming life and love of Jesus. We're not looking to bring them Spanish River. We're not looking to bring them Brian Herring. Lord knows they don't need that. But no, we're looking to bring them the transforming life and love of Jesus. But who are we bringing that to? We're bringing it to our members to our neighbors and the very nations in every generation, young and old, young and old, through what? But through the gospel, through the proclamation of good news to all men, all women, in word, in deed, and in sign. And so every aspect of this mission Every aspect of it is rooted in Scripture and it arises to fulfill the Scripture's command about what a church is called to be and do. This is because the entire message of the Bible, the whole Bible itself, is centered on the person of Christ. So understand this, Spanish River, we are a people of the Word. We are a people of the Bible. So I figure, you know what, let's open it up and read it. So if you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 6. Because given the centrality of the scriptures and the life of God's people, I want us to take some time together to think through why God's word is so vital. So again, we're in John chapter 6. This is the apostle. This is the disciple John. There are four gospel accounts. Accounts written about the life and the ministry of Jesus. This is the fourth of those. You have Matthew, you have Mark, you have Luke, and you have John. And we're in John chapter 6. It will be up on the screen. We're going to be way in the back of this chapter, verse 60 through 69. So if you're following this on your phone, I'm going to give you a nickel's worth of free advice, okay? Go to chapter 7 and then go backwards. It'll be a lot quicker than trying to scroll through that whole chapter. So here we are, picking up in verse 60 of John's account of the life of Christ, chapter 6, verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, Do not, or do you take offense at this? Then, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. 
verse 65. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus turned, saying to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom should we ever go? For you have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, so grateful for your word. Lord, thankful for the life and the spirit that it provides to us. Lord, thank you for its unchangeability. Lord, I pray that your spirit would join us this morning. Lord, I pray that your spirit would work mightily through your word and that it would speak mightily through me. Lord, for the glory of Jesus alone, I pray this in all things. Amen. Amen. So a little bit of background on what we have kind of jumped into here. In John chapter 6, Jesus at the beginning of it has fed the 5,000. He's fed 5,000. At this point, he's actually in Capernaum. He's teaching in a synagogue. And you've had these people all over who have wanted to find Jesus again. And they've been searching for him and looking for him. But Jesus has been avoiding them. And so they finally find him here in Capernaum. They find him in the synagogue teaching. And they come up to him and they're like, Hey, can we get any more of that bread? That was great. You fed us. And Jesus gets into this whole discussion with them. This whole discussion with them saying like, Look, man. The bread that you're seeking, it doesn't last. It doesn't last. No, you need, you need bread from heaven. And then they get into the discussion. Well, we've, we've already had that. There was manna that God provided for his people. And he's like, no, no, no. No, no, no. The, the bread that you need is a bread that brings everlasting life. And that bread is me, Jesus says. And my words, and unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you won't have it. Now, obviously, that's, that's a pretty crazy thing to hear, and they thought so as well. I mean, they, you, we, we picked this up in verse 60. They're like, this is a hard thing to hear, man. This guy that we've been following who fed us the other day now says we need to eat him and drink his blood? I'm not in for this. But before we get into, and I want to walk through this passage and pull out the necessity of Scripture, but I want us to understand this first and foremost because I love that Jesus says this. In verse 61, he says, do you take offense at this? Do you take offense at this? So often when we look at the scriptures and we understand this in our context and in our culture, right? The word of God is offensive. And we're like, man, God, you're looking at a 2,000-year-old document. I mean, some of them are older than that. I mean, it's just, it's so offensive today. Well, let me tell you something. The word of God has been offending people for the last 2,000 years, the last 1,700 years, that this canon of Scripture has been in place. All right? We're not special. <laughs> the Word of God has been offensive, and it will continue to offend people. In Hebrews chapter 4, the author of that letter writes this. He says, look, the Word of God is living and active, he says. Right? It's moving. It's happening. Things are going on. But he says this, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God is like a scalpel in the hands of a surgeon. And what does it do? But it cuts. 
It cuts to expose what's broken. It cuts to expose what is dying or what needs to be fixed. But it exposes it to light and to air. And we don't like when that which is inside of us is exposed. We like staying hidden sometimes. And this is true of all cultures in all time periods, as I said before. Right? Like you have, you have more Eastern cultures, which have high value on family and on purity. And so they'll read passages in the scriptures that talk about morality and about sexual purity. And they're, they're like, yes, that's good. We need to teach that. But then all of a sudden, that same culture struggles with a sense of forgiveness. When a daughter in the family comes home pregnant, when a son betrays the family, oh, there will be revenge. There will be vengeance. Their forgiveness is not afforded to them. And there is a deep, deep offense to passages that say that you are to forgive them as I have forgiven you. 77 times 7. How? No, that is offensive. But yet in a more traditional Western sense, right? We're offended almost in the opposite. We love passages about God's mercy and love and forgiveness. Liberty and freedom. And yet we scoff at and are offended by these ideas of sexual ethics and, and purity. And we're like, no, 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 that's offensive. I can live my life the way I want to live my life. See, look, in essence, when we look at the word of God, there's two ways that we take it. We... We either live above it, and we say, look, God's word is kind of like a buffet line. I go through it, and I pick out the things that I like. I live my life the way I choose to live it, the way I want to live it, and the way I think it applies to me. But at the end of the day, I rule over it. There was a missionary from England who came to the United States early in our, uh, early in our history, and he was in Philadelphia uh, during the July 4th festivities, Independence Day, he walked into a store and he saw a giant flag set up in the floor, uh, in this store that said, we serve no sovereigns here. And he wrote a letter back to his home church and he said, I have no idea how to minister to a people that refuse to acknowledge God as their king. <laughs> See, in, in one sense, where they're like, hey, this is how I'm going to do it. The word of God is subject to me. But then there's the flip side of that where we live with an understanding that we are submissive and we live under the authority of the scripture. It speaks to every aspect of who we are and how we live. Not as a means of control or a means of, of hurting us, but as a means of liberating us and freeing us from those idols and those sins that we think Offer us what only Christ truly can, which is an anchor for the soul and a stability in a changing and, and constantly fluxing world. I love this because at the end of the day, we either give authority in our lives to the culture around us or we acknowledge the authority of the word of God and of the scriptures. So let's look through this. We touched on the sense of offense. We get that. But we got to talk about, man, first and foremost, what Jesus says right off the bat is he references his word and the scripture as what but as bread. There is a necessity to the scriptures in our lives. And there is a necessity to the scripture for all of us. And as a church, 
in these words. There's a big, big, big difference between need and want, right? You know that. You know that. But man, how often do I confuse need versus want? My kid, it's easy. You know, I could throw my kids under the bus on this one, right? Oh, the Amazon, like, uh, and the Target, like, Christmas, like, catalogs came out. Do any of you families get those? Yeah, right. I used to get the Toys R Us one as a kid. You remember that one? I was a Toys R Us kid. What's up? That's right. Maybe you got the Sears Roebuck. I don't know how old you are. But anyways, (laughs) right? So, like, we know need versus want, right? Like, as kids, all of us were there. Let's not throw our own kids under the bus. We were those kids. We're like, I need this. I need this. No, you don't. It's like Jesus saying, we need bread. He's like, no, 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 no. you're just going to get hungry again, man. No, you need a bread that satisfies eternally. You need me. But we do the same thing. I mean, it just happened to me a couple weeks ago. The internet went out in my house. Comcast went down. I need the internet in my house. I got four kids. You expect me to talk to them? (laughs) I jest. I like to talk to my kids. Please don't send me an email about that, all right? Look, we confuse need versus want so often, but Christ is making the point here in John chapter 6 that the necessity of the Scriptures is needed for every single one of us in every aspect of our lives. It's even Peter who echoes this in verse 68 where he says, Lord, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. But, okay, if it's necessary, if it's necessary, then what's its purpose? What's its purpose? There's really two purposes that we see in Scripture. And for that, I want to look over at 2 Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, converted on the road to Damascus, wrote much of the letters and literature that we have in the New Testament, had, two, had, a, had a number of disciples. One of them was Timothy. Timothy was a church planner in Ephesus. And he wrote him two letters. We have both of those in our scripture. First and second Timothy. They were real original when they named these. But first and second Timothy. And so in second Timothy, he is writing to him. And he says this in chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 15 and 17. We'll come to 16 in a moment. He says this. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then verse 17, that the man and women of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The necessity of Scripture, the purpose behind it is first and foremost that we might become wise for salvation. Both in Romans as well as in the Psalms, the Scriptures are clear that creation has been given to us as what, but as a testimony to God's existence. I've been in Ecuador. I've stood on the side of a volcano that sits at 19,000 feet. I watched the sun rise and shine down on the clouds below me. And I wept because I knew for a fact God is real. Born and raised in South Florida, I have sat on the beach and felt a thunderstorm and hurricanes come on shore here. I don't recommend that. But I have done it. I have felt the power of those winds and I have felt the power of God on the face of this planet. I have watched my four children born. And as disgusting as that was, It was such an amazing picture of the grace and beauty of a God that has to exist. 
But in all of those experiences, why I can tell you and I can, I can speak to the fact that, yes, I, in those moments, I knew for a fact there has to be a God. This cannot just be some sort of an accident. I cannot tell you that that God wants to know me through the person and the ministry and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No, the scriptures are where we receive the special revelation, not just general, but the special revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are to do what but to make you wise to salvation. Revealing your sin, your brokenness, your alienation from the God that created you. And offers you forgiveness through himself in the flesh in Jesus. But it's not just that the scripture's purpose are to make us wise to salvation. They're also, in a sense, to give us our marching orders. They help us to understand and realize that God has equipped us to do his will. It's not just like, all right, sweet, I'm in the game. Peace. Kick back the lazy boy. No, we're called to go. This one heart, one mission series has been about that, right? We're a hospitable people. We're a missional people. We're a generous people. We're a gospel-centered people. We're going. And where does that come from? But it comes from the word of God. That you and I, young and old, male and female, older believer, seasoned believer, new believer, you might be made complete and equipped for what? For every good work. Okay. Okay, but if, if that's true, right, there's, there's a necessity. The scripture is, is the bread of life that we need. Christ has, has said that. And its purpose is that we might be wise to salvation, that we might, that we might be equipped to serve but where does that come from? Well, that comes from the source of the scriptures. In John, back in John chapter 663, Jesus says this. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are what? They are spirit and life. God, the Holy Spirit. And when we go back to Timothy, verse 16, the one that we skipped says this. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Right? Between 2 Timothy 15 and 17 is this verse 16. The scriptures are the product of the Holy Spirit and it's why 15 and 17 are able to stand. All of Scripture being breathed out. Well, you're like, well, hey, I thought, I thought the Scripture was written by a bunch of dudes over a course of like a lot of years. Yeah, they were. They were, but they, they were written down and recorded under the authority and ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's Isaiah. We see this. Isaiah is called by God to prophesy to the people of Israel, right? And what does he say to Isaiah? But he says, Isaiah, I will put my words, God's words, in your mouth. And when we read the scripture, we read the writings of men, but it is God's word through the Holy Spirit to us. What greater authority do we need? And ultimately in all of this, in all of this, 
is the sense that the message of the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation center on Jesus Christ himself. In John chapter 5, verse 39, I think it'll show up on the screen. 539, but I'll say this. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And he's like, yeah, yeah, but understand this. It is they that bear witness to me. All of scripture bears witness to me. We read about the first Adam. Adam and Eve. Our forefather, our foremother. Who did what? But through them came death and sin and judgment to all of us. And yet the scriptures declare Jesus is now the last Adam. Who offers righteousness and forgiveness to all who call on his name. We see Moses who led a people out of bondage and slavery in Egypt into the promised land. And yet Jesus is what when we look at Hebrews but a greater Moses. Who offers us freedom from bondage. And slavery and sin. Sally Lloyd-Jones writes a children's Bible. But it's not just for kids. I have read it as a devotional and I would encourage you to do the same. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And the subheading of that title is this. It's that every story whispers his name. And she does an amazing job of every major story in the Bible showing you where Jesus is the champion in all of it. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In a world that feels so much like vertigo, that is constantly changing, we long for an anchor, we long for security, we long for a hope that does not change. And that's what the scriptures are. And that's what Jesus is. In a Western world, in a Western context, and I think this isn't just in the West, I think this is all over. We are constantly desperate for security. We build our entire lives around it. None of these things are bad. I get it, but when we put our hope in those things, they can be easily taken away. Think of your homes. Our little sanctuaries, our castles that protect us from what? From nature, but also from society. We look to protect ourselves through insurance, and insurance is great. But what are we doing? We're hedging our bets and protecting our investments against what might be. What do we do? But we set up bank accounts and 401ks so that in the years ahead, we might have resources to be able to supply us with the needs that will be needed. We surround ourselves with relationships and friendships that bring security and comfort. But here's the thing. In the back of every single one of our minds, we realize that all of these can be gone like that. A cancer diagnosis that is untreatable. A car wreck. A lawsuit that robs you of everything that you had in your bank account and shuts down your business. In a moment, life is fragile and we long and we reach for a security that stretches beyond these dark possibilities that so often we refuse to acknowledge but lurk around every one of life's corners. 
You know, there is an unchanging message that speaks to the central need of humanity and of every man, of every woman, across every century and every culture. We are in need of a Savior. We are in need of an anchor. Not just a Savior, a relationship with a God who made us, who created us, who loves us, and who is coming back for His own. See, every circumstance you encounter will change except the circumstance of our forgiveness found in Christ. Every possession we own will pass away except the very pearl of our salvation. Every relationship we enter into will waver except the adoption of sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. We are a Bible believing, preaching people. And we will find our authority, we will find our comfort and our anchor. As much as I love our church, you won't find it at Spanish River. But you'll find it in what Spanish River proclaims. Which is a God who loves you. Who came in human form. Met God's standard of perfection. Taking your sin. Your judgment. God's wrath for you on himself in his own death. Shedding his own blood on a cross. As your substitute. But not letting death have the final answer. Conquering it in his resurrection. And to those who call on his name. And look to him. The unchangeable one. There is eternal life, and there is forgiveness, and there is the hope of when he returns, of change, of sin, of death being no more. Pray with me, Heavenly Father. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the unchangeability of it. Lord, I thank you that in it we have a message that makes us wise to salvation. Lord, may we be a people who are centered always on your word. Lord, may we understand the necessity of it and press it upon our lives. Lord, may we understand its authority and its source as well as its message. Lord, encourage us with this. Empower us with this. Lord, let us take this to a world that is changing, that is unstable, and that is desperate for this message in the same way we are. We pray all of this in the mighty, unchanging name of Jesus. Amen.